Hello, and welcome to At the Same Time, a podcast about a single life event going on for different people in different parts of the world at the very same time. So this is our inaugural season and our premiere episode. So what you're going to hear is kind of my co-host and I getting our sea legs and kind of talking through what we want the show to be about and some of the things that we are going to be looking at in our first season. So each season is going to focus on a different life event and because our first season happens to occur during the COVID-19 pandemic, that's going to be our um, main thread. But we're still going to get to know our guests on many different levels. So hopefully you'll enjoy our first episode. Okay, so my name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Wood, and I'm here with somebody very special, a very, very, very special co-host, and I will let her introduce herself. Okay, my name is Dr. Elsa Rogers, and my co-host is also very, very special. She's very (laughs) special to me, and she is my daughter. Yes, I've known her all her life, and I enjoy, I really enjoy chatting with her, you know, doing things with her. It's, it's a really special relationship to me and for me. Oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> um, so the, the idea behind this podcast, I think you and I recorded one years ago. Like, I don't even know that I had had my second child yet. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I forced you to watch some dating show, but <laughs> I, I think where that kind of came from me wanting to do some kind of podcast with you is that I have really had fun encountering Dr. Rogers, the person, not the mom. And I didn't get to do that as a kid for, I, I think obvious reasons, but it occurs to me that our podcast audience, um, if that ever goes beyond, you know, my brother and dad, um, <laughs> they might, they might not have the same take on parenting. So that kind of brings me to, uh, I guess what you and I talked about earlier this week about what perspective we're going to have for yeah. our, our show together. Yeah. And I, I, there's so many perspectives from which we can come that is difficult to narrow it down to one, but I believe that we need to have an overarching, uh, let's say, topic, as it were, and everything else should somehow fit into that. Um, uh, uh, this may be simplistic, but something as uh, as maybe keeping it real or touching bases, where we can touch bases with different people and see what's going on with them and how they see things based on where they are in life right now or where they are in their professions, maybe something that we can look at. We may not necessarily settle on that topic or even that perspective, but it's somewhere that we can start from. Well, Mom, what would you think about just perspectives in general? Because ah. if we have different guests, it can be, you know, keeping it real as a parent. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Because, you know, culturally for us, like we were both born in the West Indies, but your experience of having been born in the West Indies is different mm-hmm. from mine because I grew up in the U.S. 
And so that's one perspective on parenting because it's done different down there, mom, (laughs) than in other places. (laughs) What do you mean? Um, But then also perspectives about um, career and how people live differently in different parts of the country. And so maybe just perspectives. What do you think? I like that. I like that. It could cover any topic at all that we discuss. So I like it. Yep. Okay. You can settle on that. That was easy. All right. Very (laughs) cool. Uh, I feel like it is worth mentioning, though, that the, I guess, maybe the opening, the life opening for this new podcast uh, with the two of us happens to be a global pandemic. Yes. Uh, So maybe we kind of talk about the space that we're in, because I think that what we end up talking about and the conversations that we'll have with our guests over the next um, little bit of time Mm -hmm. will probably be influenced by this period of life, which, you know, based on like my, my history research, this hasn't happened in at least a hundred years, not on this kind of a scale. Correct. Correct. And um, I think um, we, already, we, we are talking about the new normal when we come out of this, and this is going to be a long when. I think it will kind of create for us a different way of seeing the world, a different perspective, as it were, of seeing the world. We would not necessarily take as many things for granted as we, we used to take. For example, a simple a simple thing as not being able to see someone or to hug someone if you are a hugger or not being able yeah. to shake hands or being in a way suspicious of people. When I say suspicious, I mean in terms of, okay, this person looks healthy, but is the person asymptomatic? Is it safe for me to to do simple things, simple things like touching a, a grocery cart? or maybe going out to someone's home or being out somewhere and not necessarily uh, being aware that, you know, you need to take off your shoes or your shoes may have the virus on it. It is just so different. I think we'll be a little more cautious in a way because of that. Well, and I think, you know, there are a lot of songs and articles and things written about how would you live if you had limited time? And mm-hmm. for any and all of us, we don't know, like if we were to contract this virus, and when I say this, I'm talking about the COVID-19 novel coronavirus, mm-hmm. you have no idea how that is going to affect you or the other people you care about. And so it becomes what matters now, like what actually matters and what reflects my best or the healthiest thing for me. And that actually has come into play in terms of how I think about things, not just as um, a daughter, because mm-hmm. you and I have had very different conversations conversations than we've ever had before. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. My daughter actually treated me like a daughter at one time by telling oh. me, you me. You're going to tell everybody? Everybody needs to know that. <laughs> I actually, I um, spoke to my husband after that Uh and also my brother. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
I have spoken to my mom in a way that I've never spoken to her in my whole life. I think I might have texted you an apology or something I later. Know, I know, but I, you know, I looked at it and I said, you know something? Maybe I brought her up right because she would have never dared speak to me like that when she was a child. <laughs> right. However, and now she's an adult speaking to another adult. So things have changed. <laughs> But then also, you know, desperate times. And I think maybe to just kind of clue our audience in a little bit, we were, this was really early on in all of the um, shelter at home uh, types of uh, measures that we were taking. And so we were all still trying to figure out exactly what does that look like? Because, and what I mean by that is obviously, you know what the difference is between being at home and not being at home. But when they say shelter at home, does that really mean that you shouldn't be just popping over somewhere to pick up, you know, groceries or running errands just kind of as it comes to mind? Or does it mean like really lock it down and stay inside? So this is, even though it's only been, gosh, that was maybe six weeks ago. I feel mm-hmm. like we're different people in terms of yes. what it means to get supplies and run errands, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I think we had really different perspectives, uh, back to perspectives <laughs> about that, um, because this actually reminds me of something that um, my husband's, one of my husband's former employers was talking about having um, an older parent who was fussing about, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm waiting until I get old to you know, start that process. And this person was like, you're in your 80s. <laughs> the time has come. But we don't always have that awareness. We don't always have that perspective. And so you and I were coming at it from different places, I think wanting the same thing. But I was like, mom. You can't go out. You know, you, oh, my God. You're not taking this thing seriously. Oh, I remember that. Uh, and you know what? I, am, I hope that I'm old enough to see your daughter tell you something like mom <laughs> but you know but, I'm, I'm sure but going back to what you were talking about uh, the change that has that has come to that has come right now because of the um, the virus I think our our focus is more child or we have changed our focus a lot Things that used to be important aren't that important. Or things that we felt that we couldn't live without, like, for example, going to the mall or buying this bag or buying this shoe or something like that. That's not as important. Now, I can, I'll give you an example that um, I gave to... I have a, walk, a, a, a walking pal. We go walking at 5.30 in the morning. And I was telling her that, yeah, that's kind of early, yeah, but, you know... That's me. Um, But I was telling her that I have seen things in catalogs that are mailed home to me that I would normally buy because I like it or because, you know, it replaces something that I donated somewhere ago. And I have stopped doing that because I'm telling myself, why am I buying this? Now, this may sound morbid to you, Nikhil, but I'm telling myself, why am I buying this? What if I buy this and I get the virus and I die? I will never use it. (laughs) And she she looked at me and she laughed. I said, but no, that's a new reality that we need to somehow be aware of. 
I'm going to tease you for a minute. And like you, you, you're saying that your purchasing has changed because of yeah. the virus. And I, I respect that, but mom, you have been known to buy things and like not wear them for you. <laughs> so I don't I'm think. Sorry. I know, but there's the biggest. <laughs> I know. And, and for audience, there are times when I would buy things and I would bring them home, hang them in the closet. And I'll look at them, and after two weeks, I'll say, what were you thinking of? Why did you buy that? And I'll return it. And then they'll Right. Yeah. But this is a different case in that I may never, ever wear it because I won't be around. But anyway. Well, that, that, but, but that brings an immediacy to things. Like, what is really important? And I know exactly. I, I am a very um, driven, but... And when I use that, I actually now am not using it as like a um, a humble brag or or something like that. I actually think of it as something that sometimes impedes me. It's I've got to do it just right, and I've got to really push hard. And I think that that inhibits my ability to really absorb my life. Mm-hmm. And so now being forced to slow down, at, but at the same time also having to do a lot of work from home and I have two young children and having to still continue with their education, I'm forced to realize, okay, there really isn't enough time. And this is the one opportunity I have to actually be with them. Like for the first time in my, in my, well, I say my life, but their life outside of like vacation or maternity leave or illness I don't feel like I'm missing their lives. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that this also, this stay at home though, affects relationships. In, in your case, you have welcomed the fact that you're home with your family and all of these things. But there are people who are not so appreciative mm-hmm. of being locked in with their family. And they have to sort of yeah. form a new normal in, in as far as they've got to learn to Cope with it, and my hope is that as they learn to cope, they find something meaningful in this new relationship that they're establishing with their families or with their loved ones or whomever. Yeah, because you make a good point. Because it goes, there's a full spectrum there. There is, yeah, it's a little bit challenging because we're all in the same place, twenty four seven for weeks on end. But I really love and care about the people I'm with and feel like they love and respect me all the way up to, I don't feel safe, but I have to stay here because there's also, you know, a a physical threat, both inside the house as well as outside. So there's a broad spectrum. So you bring up a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, a colleague of mine uh, sent me an email the other day and he said, I feel sorry for people who don't like their spouses or don't like their family members. How are they coping? Have you heard of any crimes of passion that have been taking place because they are now locked down? But I mean, that's being facetious. But I also think, though, that because people are locked in, there may be an effect not only on the social environment in, in, in as far as people are not interacting physically, but more importantly, on the environment as well. 
because I've seen lots of videos where animals are now walking around uh, in places where humans used to actually um, overrun. <laughs> you know, you say you're overrun yeah. by animals. Now you used to, it used to be overrun by human beings. You find all of these things happening. And I think it brings to bear the fact that we as human beings, in a way, sometimes were not destroying, but being careless of the environment and all of those things that we have the ability to control. Well, I would go all the way to destroying because like we have not, (laughs) you know, stewarded Mm -hmm. what we were given, like when we were born onto this planet. And so I think, although a very, it's, it's such an unusual time for so many different reasons. And I know everybody's experience in this is different, you know, from, Mm -hmm. Um, housing and food insecurity to other for other people all of that is stable and secure but um, mentally and emotionally they might be struggling because oh my gosh you know I'm anxious and I'm worried so there's a lot of different things at the same time I think that um, it is an opportunity potentially to figure out not just individually but collectively what really is important Like, did did I need to be running around as much as I was and stressing myself out? Or was it okay to just say, I'm not doing that because the best that I can give is, you know, my five days of work and I'm not going to run all weekend. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I'm going to spend more time being with the people that I really want to be with. Yes, I I agree. But I also, I also foresee that people are going to forget this experience. I read an article about that, I think last night, actually. Uh-huh. That if, um, and I didn't get to finish the whole thing, and I need to cross-check it with cognitive psychology, like the cognitive psychological principles. But basically what it was saying was that living through this pandemic, we are having different experiences. So if you're on the front lines and you are a healthcare worker or somebody who is involved in um, the grocery industry or delivery industry, the, the essential occupations, what you are seeing out there on the front lines um, is really, it's vivid, it can be traumatic, and it's going to be burned into your brain. And so how you recall this time is going to be based on that versus those of us who um are experiencing it too, but it's more from within four walls. So we are not directly impacted in the same way. And so what this article was talking about, and again, I need to fact check and vet this, but what the article was talking about was the idea that it's going to be easier for those of us who did not have a frontline experience Mm -hmm. to kind of fade back into life as usual. Um, as compared to those who were in the thick of it and really living in the middle of, of this very, very challenging time and having to, to help with the, the scary pieces of things, being afraid of that we're going to catch the virus, having to help people who already did catch the virus, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. But I also, um, the people who also who lost their jobs and who have to stand in line for two and three hours to get, food to put on their family's table. 
they yeah. will also have a different perspective as well. I am. Um, yeah. I, I listen to the news a whole lot, and one of the things I saw is that this man stayed in line for two and a half hours to get food for his family, and when he got up there, there was none. Oh, there was none. That that affected me so much. Because I saw him on the verge of tears. What am I going to do now? I don't have a job. I don't have food for my family. But I, but I also recognize, though, that in this city, or rather in this country, Americans help each other. So I'm sure that, not I'm sure, but I hope that someone would have seen that interview and found that man and somehow donated some food for his family. It was not in Florida for one thing, but wherever it was, I'm sure that somebody would see him somewhere and donate. Because in addition to people having this post-traumatic uh, uh, reaction, lots of kind people have come out. They are helping with food. They're helping with masks. They're helping so many people who, who have a need and they bring, and it's also bringing communities together I think this is the the hard part because there's um it's not an all or nothing but we don't necessarily see a full picture and what I mean by that um you know as challenging as this is there there are huge income disparities and privilege disparities and things like that. And we haven't necessarily, or no, not even haven't necessarily, we have not done um, what maybe I think we could or should do to um, remedy that. But at the same time, to your point, people do still try to reach out here and there. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that creates a shift um, and from a, from what feels sometimes like a me first mentality. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I don't see a whole lot of me first. Um, and maybe I'm shifting, I'm shifting a bit now to what happened with the PPPs, those checks that went out to large corporations. Oh yeah. And, uh, I don't know who a lot and I may be, I may regret what I'm about to say, but when we see some of these large organizations getting a whole lot of money, I wonder sometimes whether maybe they should have been given just a little less so that the small man, those people who were forgotten by the wayside, could have benefited a little. Although I also know that some of the big companies, at least two of them or three of them so far, have returned mm -hmm. their, their loans. And others may, or others may have, but did not necessarily make, you know, a big to-do yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I think it also comes down to, like, you know, conscience, where it's yeah. like, yeah, I could get this, but do I really need that? And is my getting that preventing somebody else who needs it more? Yes, yes. But it's, it, that goes all the way back to toilet paper. Let's be real. <laughs> you know, like, if you have six months worth of toilet paper, do you really need to buy the toilet paper just because it's there? No. And you've got this kind of internal fear of, um, you know, being but, secure. But also, why toilet paper? You know, this is the thing. I'm pretty sure that back in 1918, people were not as worried about toilet paper as we are. 
That is so. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we could make many, many hypotheses yeah. about about yes. this, but I don't yes. know. We never really know. So to pivot a little bit, because I think you know we got super serious in our very first episode. Yeah. Um, I thought, and I'll probably. Um, I am learning about editing. So full disclosure, never done this before. So we will see how it goes. Um, But we, I realized, introduced ourselves and our relationship, but we did not talk about um, what we have chosen to do in this life in terms of profession. And although we are not our professions, I do think that has a lot of influence on our perspectives and the sorts of things that Mm -hmm. we say and the things that we notice. Yes, that is true. But I do have to say, though, that uh, the profession you chose is the profession that I wanted. Way back then, oh. I actually started my um, my bachelor's degree in your field. Did you? Yes, I did. Yes. but So you switched it at some <laughs> point? Was there a reason? You know, I think about that sometimes and I don't know. I know that we moved from one state to the other and it may have been difficult to enter that field in the other state and therefore I sort of pivoted and I went into the field that I'm now in, which is teaching. Also, I was a teacher back in Trinidad, although I taught elementary school at that time. So it may have been just something familiar to me Mm-hmm. And I just went back into that area. But I do enjoy teaching. I like the aha uh-huh that I see on students' faces when they finally get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what is surprising is that um, I kind of get energized when I teach because I feel strongly about what I do. And I want to make sure that students that the knowledge I impart is something that the students can use. And I'm, I, I never reach the point where I say, okay, I'm the teacher, I know everything. Sometimes when someone asks me a question and I don't know, I say, you know something? I really don't know, but I'm going to give you some homework. Why don't you find out and come back and tell me? <laughs> Google! <laughs> no, no, I tell them don't Google because Googling is different. <laughs> It is. You know, it's funny because I think I was the last generation and ugh, I'm probably showing my age here, but I think I'm one of the last generations that actually had to go into the stacks and like uh-huh. look stuff up and like pull a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I tell you what, though, there is something about that exercise because I think it's too easy right now for students to simply go to the computer or use their phone and simply Google something. And what, what, what what I don't like about that is that sometimes what they see doesn't give them a full picture. Or sometimes they use some other sources that are not necessarily credible. And then they come back mm-hmm. and they say, okay, fine, I read it here or I saw it there. Or better still, somebody who ought to know said so. And they, they, they sometimes lack the critical thinking skills that are necessary. Yeah, they. Um, that's really interesting because... Uh, when we, in terms of consolidating information in our minds, you know, way back when, like it took some work to get stuff published. So you knew what a you know scholarly article was. You also knew what was published in a book and fact-checked versus, you know, something that was like a magazine that was just for entertainment purposes. 
But now both of those can show up in the same search on a, you know, a web browser. So, and then, you know, as we consume that and we read it or listen to it, how do, how do we get our brains to remember that was from a peer reviewed journal article versus I read it on Buzzfeed, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you are downplaying a little bit, mom. You said I am a teacher. So I'm just going to tell you guys the deal. My mother has a doctoral degree in, um, it's English. Which what was your actual area of study? It's rhetoric and literature. Rhetoric and literature. So I do, right. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, and I am actually the dean of a small, uh, not-for-profit university uh, that I've been doing for a number of years, and I enjoy it because I enjoy working with my colleagues. They also bring something to the table that I'm not. Uh, I'm not familiar with because I'm the dean of a liberal arts school. So I work with people who are mathematicians, who are philosophers, who are sociologists, and I learn something from every one of them. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy doing that. Yeah, that sounds really wonderful. Um, and you're really good at it because you've, well, you've been there a long time. Well, thank you. And how about you? What do you do? <laughs> Okay, so uh, I am a psychologist, <laughs> and so that that has been probably the most interesting experience that I could have chosen. Um, I, as a psychologist, you can take a lot of different routes. So you can kind of do academic stuff, which I did for some time, and there are things that I like about it. But the way that you talk about being in an academic setting, I don't have that. Uh, and I think you need that in order to, to be g- as good at it as you are. Um, what I do really like is I'm very curious about people. And I like puzzles and, and figuring things out. So it turns out, like, I guess my philosophy about people is that everything that people do, everything that people do makes sense. Did I get that grammatically correct? I feel like I did yeah. Anyway, everything we do makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then that's because we don't have all of the information. And so the trick is, um, especially you know, in psychology, is, is trying to get all of the information, whether that is as a clinician who's trying to make a diagnosis and kind of figure out what's going on and so what can I do to best help this person or the person's all in it with you and you're trying to figure out a new path forward. So um, even though I've done a, a lot of different things in psychology from kind of the teaching side, um, I am now in a group private practice in uh, the Tampa Bay area and I am the clinical director there. So I do um, kind of a little of everything. I get to see therapy clients and I work with families as well as individuals and I do testing, so I get to kind of peek into people's minds and learn more about how they think and function. And then the clinical direction piece of things in terms of helping with risk management and best practices and making sure that everybody that walks in our door gets the best care possible. And you're also very good at what you do. Thank you. You are a, work- <laughs> you are a workaholic. 
in case maybe a little. Yes. But I, you, you made a statement just now that I, I, I want maybe some clarification. You said that everything someone does makes sense. Does it, do you mean that it makes sense to that person, whether they are aware of the reason or not? Or what exactly did you mean? What I mean, um, and I guess the, the first example that comes to mind is if you are, say, having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden they have a really strong reaction to something you said, whether that was um, really strong disagreement or um, anger about what you said, and it seems disproportionate to the topic being discussed or kind of the, the situation or circumstance, um, I tend to believe that if we just kind of leave it there, I mean, we can leave it there, but to really understand where that reaction came from, it is worth unpacking, like, what happened in the rest of your day? Or did that touch a nerve? Because sometimes it's not about you. Um, sometimes it's not even about that specific instance. It's about some set of... Um, unique characteristics or experiences that that person has had. And sometimes that person's not aware of it, but, you know, and my poor husband has to listen to me going, well, you know, what do you think that was really about? Let's really talk about this. <laughs> um, which is wonderful when I do it, but now that we've been married for so long, he starts to do it to me. Ugh, oh. And I start to roll my eyes, but it really is kind of helpful to, to, I think, have that awareness that it all makes sense and having also the empathy of being able to say, I might not completely get it because I haven't lived your life and your experience, but I hear you and, and I, I can kind of follow how we have got you, here. Have you ever encountered anyone who, um, for whom you could not unpack that, quote-unquote, baggage? Um, I think, I mean, some people come into therapy, people come in for all kinds of different reasons. Um, the ones that are really, I think there are two kinds of therapy clients that are particularly challenging. It's the people who are coming in for somebody else. And so it becomes, yeah, I'm here, I, I'm okay with being here, but it was so-and-so's idea. And so, you know, to kind of keep the peace with so-and-so, I'm going to, I'm going to come in. Hmm. Or it's a person who, and you know, this might be one in the same, who they're there, but they're super defensive because it can be very intimidating or uncomfortable to sit down with somebody who you don't know and share personal details of your life, your feelings, your thoughts. And some people um, aren't ready to do that yet. And so if the person doesn't want to go there with me for whatever reason, then they're just not ready. And so you don't really unpack that. Although, um, you know, the training that psychologists have and the, the information that we have to gather in terms of like just background information, we can start to, it's kind of like doing a puzzle where if it's a really large puzzle, you do the edges, right? Yep. I can get the edges because that's just basic life history stuff that you have to give a doctor when they, when you go in for the first time, I'm not going to really completely get it. If you don't 
you know, kind of participate with me and fill in the middle pieces because it's both of us. It's not just me. Um, but I let that be up to them because if you're not ready, then it, it just means not now, maybe later. Okay. But do you also, I, I've always meant to ask you this, but when, whenever we meet, we always veer off on another, um, another tangent, but do you find it, do you find people react to you differently because you say you're a psychologist? I'm asking because the minute I say English, people say, oh, and they sort of, you know, they mind the way they speak or they say, you know, I was never really good at English. <laughs> so what, 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 what are people's reactions then to you when you say, I'm a psychologist? Um, it goes from no reaction, like, oh, that's an interesting job. To I, what I hear a lot of is, oh, you must be reading my mind or, oh, you must be analyzing me. I really need somebody like you. So that's, you know, just I'm like them being uncomfortable. And then other people are just really interested. Or I do get strangers who tell me their life story. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> information at first meeting. I, I have a friend who's a psychologist. And he always had the reaction that people 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 stop speaking when they are around him because they would say things like, "Oh, you're reading my mind," or when I say something, I feel that you're trying to interpret it. So he and his wife went to um, a fundraiser at one time, and he said, "You know, I'm not going to tell them that I'm a psychologist. I'll tell them something else." So when he got to the party and they asked, "What do you do?" He said, you, you see that metal, metallic thing that's at the end of a shoelace? Well, I make those. I'm oh, my gosh. Those. Yes. And he said he had the best time of his <laughs> life. Because <laughs> people started coming, oh, what, what made you think of, of, of creating such a... And he said he went on and on, and his wife had a big old laugh when they left. But it was the first time that he found that people were really comfortable when they wow. spoke. Because he did not use the P word. But, but I wonder if that's also generational because there's, while there's still stigma, there's not as much mm-hmm. um, with this younger generation because a lot of people have a therapist and it's like, well, I'm just going to ask my therapist. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting job. And sometimes I will be, you know, when, when people first meet and are asking around, um, sometimes I will just not participate in that conversation and other times I do but yeah there is there's always a reaction <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there there always is that's that's so true yeah I suppose that happens regardless of what profession you choose because people who, who may have had negative or positive experiences would react differently for example um when I say, okay, you know, I, I, that's my degree. My degree is really English. They will say things like, I remember I had an English teacher who used to mark a lot of, use a lot of red ink pens on my paper. Do you use red ink also? Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just a matter of your, your experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, mom, we are getting toward like the 40 minute mark and mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, first of all, I mean, it's great that it was this easy, um, but I was thinking that we were going to try to maybe keep our episodes, mm-hmm. like each season, down to around 30 or 40 minutes, just to make them kind of bite-sized. Yeah. So when we're back to commuting, we can mm-hmm. use them 
you know, on your commute. Um, So maybe before we go, do you want to tease a little bit of what we've got coming up this season? Okay, well, um, maybe a teacher's perspective in the pre-COVID versus COVID uh, era, if you if you will. Uh, what other questions did we come up with? I have a list of questions. Yeah, we have a long list. I guess what jumps out at me is kind of thinking about how we were lucky enough to line up um, a number of guests who are really diverse, whether that is um, the parts of the country in which they live or their professions, ages, race, ethnicity, um, professional and educational backgrounds. And Mm -hmm. so, of course, we want to know about life from each of their perspectives. But then, like you said, we've got some questions that we'll probably ask everybody. And I know for sure we're going to get a different answer from all of our guests. And so um, I think that'll be cool because we've got um, different teachers. We've got some physicians. Um, we've got people who have um, worked in, uh, well, they've been parents, or worked in mm-hmm. kind of, um, professional corporate environments. So we've got a lot of different points of view coming up for you this season. Yes, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so on that note, I think we will end our Um, premiere episode and look forward to talking to you again soon mom with our first guest and we will I'm sure evolve uh, as our podcast goes on but I think it's going to be fun I think so too because we are going to learn something from each of our guests even though we think we know them yeah I like it yeah okay well I will talk to you soon okay then great you take care Hi, it's Dr. Nicole again. I hope you enjoyed our first episode. And like I mentioned, we are going to be talking to people from all over the world and from different walks of life. We've got a teacher, some physicians, a researcher, and everybody in between. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to at the same time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Nikal Rogers Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers, PhD.